Uh, if you don't have a Bible handy, then um, I do encourage you to bring uh, an actual Bible, a paper Bible, to church. Um, my, um, one of my workmates here at CV, Zoe, has told me that um, apparently reading things um, on, your, uh, on your phone or on your electric device, your, smart, uh, your smartphone or your tablet, is actually not a great way to learn. Uh, it's much more effective to actually look at, um, to learn from from the physical, from the bit of paper, which is quite, I think it's quite remarkable. So um, the, one of the great things about having, a, um, having your, your paper Bible uh, is it's much harder to flick into another app, isn't it? Like, yeah. like you know, I, I um, do use my um, iPad a lot to uh, read, you know, read the Bible. Um, but even, and even when I'm like trying really hard, I still have this like this thought that goes into my mind. I can quickly, you know, jump into uh, into Safari or onto the internet or something, and then I, then that's like a, a a moment that I need to fight, and it, so it kind of distracts my attention from uh, from what I'm actually reading in the Bible. When I've got my actual Bible, then it's much harder, isn't it, to kind of like to swipe into something else. So I do encourage you to do that. I'm I'm trying my best. Um, and I'm just just discovering like more and more how much how much um, how amazing the Bible is, how amazing the scriptures are. I've um, got a million bookmarks now because I'm like every page seems to be good. Um, so anyway, and uh, and if you really want to hear what God says, then I think looking into the scriptures is the way to go. The Word of God. So, Lord Jesus, you are you are the Word of God, and you've given us your scriptures. Um, as as the Word of God, the written Word of God. Uh, today, Lord, we long to hear your voice. In fact, we need to hear your voice. Without your words, uh, we're on this trajectory towards death. We need your words to lead us to life. We need your words to um, anchor us to truth. Lord, we need your words to uh, resonate in our hearts and to fill us with peace. We need your words to reveal who you are as the high king of heaven. Without your words, we are lost people. So, Father, I pray this morning, we, hopefully we all pray that you would speak to us. We open ourselves up. Lord, we open up our minds. We open up our hearts for your words. To, and we open up, we, we ask, Lord, that you would almost like remove things that are in front of our eyes, um, remove uh, the, the blinkers on our vision that we might see you more, God. That you might, uh, there might be like this holy discontent, like you'd um, cause us to be dissatisfied with uh, what we've, what we've even experienced of you so far. Because you are an infinite and eternal God, there's there's far, far more of you to be uh, to be plumbed, far more depths in you to be plumbed, and we long for it, God. We long for it. We are thirsty, Lord, for you. We're thirsty for you and your kingdom, God. I, Lord, I don't know if this is a brave prayer or a dumb prayer, but I, but I, but I do pray that almost that you'd unsettle us with, uh, with almost like what we've experienced in the past, and you'd almost like push us off balance so that we're forced to kind of lean into you and to rest in you, and and to find uh, the fullness of life in you again, Lord Jesus. Amen. Uh, if you were here last week, you. Uh, I, you would have heard me speaking about um, how the Lord is preparing us as as His bride, and 
And this is difficult uh, to get our heads around, and I said that especially as guys, it can be uh, hard to think about that actually we are, we are the bride, we're the bride of Christ, that um, is, one day we're gonna, there's going to be a wedding and it's going to be the coming together of the bride, which is the people of God, uh, the, the church, the wider church, but us as Capital Vineyard Church, we're part of that, we're the bride, and we're going to be marrying uh, Christ, our King. In this, in this marriage to end all marriages, the, the wedding day to end all wedding days. Uh, and, I, and I talked about how, um, you know, the Lord is shaping us into being uh, the bride that is fit for his son. Because his son is amazing. His son is Jesus. His, his son is perfect and glorious. And so for the bride to be fit for his son, she needs to be right up there. Uh, and I, and uh, this is not my this is not my imagination. This is all uh, from the scriptures. This, um, this theme of the bride and the groom is comes. It's all through right from the Old Testament to the very end of the New Testament. I spoke from uh, Revelation, and so I'm going to speak from that again. Revelation uh, chapter twenty. Sorry, I'm going to speak from Revelation chapter nineteen. And I'm just going to read from the beginning of that chapter. One of my bookmarks fell out. It's like confetti. And in this, this is a, uh, if you don't know, this is a vision that uh, John, the Apostle John, is having. He's in exile. He's, on a, he's in a cave on an island called Patmos. He's not having a great time. Uh, you know, like he's exiled because Christians were coming under massive persecution. And um, sometimes I have like these romantic ideas that John's in this, like he's on this beautiful desert island and he's just hanging out there. But I'm sure that it's not like that. He's exiled. It's not going to be a great place. But even in this cave, uh, this this cave of, you know, who knows, like he might have been chained up. I don't know. But a cave of imprisonment. He has this vision of heaven where he actually ends up in the throne room of God and he sees, uh, he sees things from a completely different perspective. He's seeing, he sees things almost like from, from God's perspective. Uh, even what's happening now uh, is, what he, is what he sees. And he sees this vision of the throne room. And he, uh, uh, I mentioned last week that he just seems to keep falling down because... Um, these things that he's seeing and these things that he's hearing are just so glorious that he's like he just uh, ends up falling down and um, wanting to worship angels and these different beings. And um, anyway, so he's up there and uh, having this amazing vision. And it says uh, towards this, towards the end of Revelation chapter nineteen, it says, "After this, I heard what seemed to be a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah." Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her, with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who was seated on the throne, saying, Amen, hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints." 
And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage feast of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Then I, this is John, then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers and sisters who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Just this incredible, incredible scene. And, uh, and I won't unpack everything in it, mostly because I don't know how. Um, but there's this really just this amazing thing. And so this speaks of a future, a future moment that we anticipate where um, Jesus returns. Uh, it says in Acts that he re- is going to return in the same way that he left. He's going to return. He's going to return as the, the uh, almighty king. And uh, all these things, all the uh, evils and uh, suffering and ills in society, that's going to, be, it's going to be put to an end. His kingdom is going to be here in its fullness. Um, and not only that, but he is going to be united with the church in a way that is just an absolute mystery to us. And the Bible describes that as being a marriage. I also spoke from uh, uh, Ephesians. So uh, one of my bookmarks is falling out. And in, uh, in Ephesians, um, this is the Apostle Paul, he's writing and he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water and with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. And then if I, I jump forward, so did I tell you, this is in chapter 5 of Ephesians, jumping forward, and he, and he goes, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is what happens when um, you know, two people, a man and a woman, get married. They become one flesh. And he goes, This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So somehow, the coming together of Christ and the church is as the coming together of a husband and wife on their wedding day when they become one flesh. And he goes, this mystery is profound. We go, yeah, it is profound. That is very hard to get our heads around, that we're going to have like this oneness with Christ that, um, that is like when we get, when we get married. It's this amazing passage that kind of like goes back and forth. Like one moment you can be thinking about this future moment in time when Jesus returns, and the next moment you can be thinking about, uh, you know, how you treat your husband or your your wife or how you, um, you know, how how you love them, even on Valentine's Day, which um, I didn't do very well. (laughs) Um, So I just really want us to uh, like be thinking quite a lot about how we are, we are the bride as the church we are the bride and we're we're being prepared for this for this wedding day the wedding to end all weddings Jesus is preparing the preparing us as bride he's preparing us to be uh, united as one flesh with him and this bride and groom, they love each other. And I, I talk, I mean, I, my imagination wanders and I keep on thinking about wedding days and what happens on wedding days. The bride and the groom, they love each other. It says in Ephesians that, um, you know, Christ, he gave himself up for the bride. He gave himself up for the church in the same way we are to give up ourselves for our husbands and wives. And we are called to give up ourselves for him and to lay down our lives for him. And this is the heart of worship. 
And it's worship that I really want to um, uh, center on this morning. I want to um, like dig into it um, as best as I can, but it's really, I still feel like it's only going to be scratching the surface of what it means to worship. This idea of laying down our lives for him. Um, someone I heard say, uh, described it as being laid down lovers, laying ourselves down for him because we love him, laying down our rights, laying down uh, the things that we hold dear, and just saying, this, Jesus, this is for you. This is for you. Worship, uh, I've talked about this before, comes from an old word, uh, worthship, worthship. And so you can, you can think about worship as being, well, Jesus, what are you worth to me? What are you worth to me? We sang it over and over again, the worthy, you're worthy. Um, and these words can make us kind of self-reflect and go, well, what are, you worth? what are you worth to me? What is the groom worth? What is the groom on, on that wedding day to end all weddings? What is the groom worth? And how do we show worth, worthship? And a, a really common way that's described in the Bible is simply uh, falling down, or actually laying down, falling down, falling down. We see, uh, we see this over and over again in the Scriptures, over and over again. And I just, you know, I read from uh, Revelation. And if you uh, remember back five minutes, it says, The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, who was seated on the throne, saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And then later on, John gets in trouble because he falls down in worship, falls down in worship of, of the angel. Why? Why do we fall? Why is falling down part of it? I don't know, but it is part of it. I think part of it is, uh, if you, um, have you ever seen like, um, or imagined sort of in olden days, and there's an olden day king, and he's sitting on the, he's sitting on the throne with his uh, olden days crown on and his olden days scepter, and he's sitting up on the crown, and, and then uh, you know, somebody comes up before him, and maybe this person um, is from a, from a conquered nation or so, and he comes up before him, and he's forced to kneel down in front of that king. Or maybe it's someone that, the, um, that is part of you know, one of those king's subjects. Maybe it's uh, um, someone that's going to be knighted, so, uh, you know, he's become, going to become a knight. She's going to become a knight. And they kneel down in front of the king. And what they do when they kneel is they kind of go like this, and all of a sudden the back of their neck is exposed. And that king with his sword in that moment, he can go, I'm going to chop your head off or I'm not. And so when you kneel down, you become vulnerable. You become, you become Lord, king, do what you want with me. I am yours now. Even my life. I think that's part of it. Kneeling down is like vulnerability. Vulnerability towards a king who could chop your head off. <laughs> and that, and it's, it's really interesting. So when you start thinking about it in terms of that marriage, like a marriage of the bride, uh, the bride and the groom. Marriage is, is a moment of incredible Vulnerability. I would don't need to go into the details, <laughs> but you know when you when you get married, you are sort of making yourself um, ideally you're making yourself entirely vulnerable to the to the other that you trust. You go, I'm entrusting you with 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 my life. I'm trusting you with my life. Vulnerability. So this is like one of the this is like a key word in in worship, making ourselves vulnerable to God, 
And that physical expression actually um, laying down ourselves before him. And Romans, Romans 12, 12, 1. Romans 12, 1. Romans is an easy book to find in the New Testament because it's one of the big ones. So you just turn somewhere in the New Testament and chances are you've got a 1 in 40 chance it's going to be Romans. And he writes, Paul writes, I I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is acceptable and perfect. Again, this is a this is a scripture passage that we've we've talked about a lot on Sundays, on Sunday mornings. And it speaks of our whole lives being sacrifices for God, being laid down for God, how uh, we're called to live holy and acceptable lives, holy and acceptable lives to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind by testing that you may discern what is the will of God. So living holy and and acceptable lives means... um, learning what God wants and then doing what he wants, which might be, and often is, countercultural, is not what the world says is, uh, is right or wrong, is good or bad, is acceptable and perfect. It's discerning the will of God. And this requires, again, like it keeps, it keeps requiring us to kind of submitting ourselves to God and going, okay, God, you, you are good, you know all things, you are loving, you are kind, so I can trust you even with my whole life, even with like kneeling down before you. And one of the key words in this, so I've already mentioned the key word of being, of being vulnerable, and a key word in this, in this scripture is that word of sacrifice. Sacrifice. I wonder if you could go through the whole Bible, and every time they mention sacrifice, substitute that for the word worship, and if that actually might help us unpack what it means to worship. Sacrifice involved taking something that was uh, of worth, and uh, you know, in the Old Testament, a sa- an animal sacrifice would mean um, allowing that animal to be slaughtered at the temple. Right? They're taking something that they value and they're going, this is a sacrifice for you, my God. This is a sacrifice. Um, uh, Hebrews, Hebrews, which I, I quoted from um, earlier, Hebrews thirteen fifteen talks about giving God a sacrifice of praise. Praise being... Saying, God, you're good. God, you're worthy. God, you are a high king. God, you're beautiful, right? That's praising God. We know how to praise each other. We know very well how to praise each other. We did that this morning. Like, thanks, Miranda, for giving me a chocolate. You praised me for moving chairs. Thank you for your praise. How much more worthy is... I don't know why I took my keys out of my pocket. Uh, just felt appropriate. <laughs> how much more worthy? How much more worthy is God for our praise? So, bringing a sacrifice of praise, and I think it's uh, what I like to think is that it's a sacrifice of praise, partly because um, we find it hard to praise God, and sometimes we look silly praising God. Actually, often we look silly praising God, and so it's a sacrifice. We're actually kind of like sacrificing our own pride often when we praise God. Worship involves sacrifice. In fact, I think worship, uh, if there's no sacrifice involved, then maybe it's not worship. You know, like we have to take something that we value. And, and I want us to think about 
What are the things that we value? What are the things we value in our lives today? We might not have an animal that we want to sacrifice, unless you have a pet cat, in which case... (laughs) (laughs) Don't what? (laughs) We'll save the birds. But we do have things. We've got time. We've got our time. We've got our time. Is... Uh, and we value our time. My goodness, we value our time. Uh, and so is time something that we could sacrifice to show God that he is worthy, that show that he is worthy of our worship? Money is something that we value. That's an obvious one, isn't it? Money is something that we've, we value so much. Uh, can we honor God with our money? We, you know, we take... We have an offering system here at CB. We don't talk about it a lot from the front because we don't want to manipulate people into giving to the church. We don't want to uh, manipulate you, um, but it is provided there, and it's a, it's a way of worshiping God to go, you're worthy of even my, even my money. <laughs> even my money. Uh, energy. Man, this is another thing that we that we we really value because we are often like busy people, hurried people. We're often we often tired out. But can we give our energy to God? Can we give it to God and go, Lord, you're you're worthy. This is my act of worship. Often worship uh, is um, the first thing we sometimes in church that we think about in worship is actually the songs that we sing, and they they can absolutely can absolutely be worship. But we don't think about the hidden things, which are often far, far more important. And I hope I'm not going to talk too long this morning. I feel like I might be tracking that direction, but I'll really try hard not to. This church was, um, this church was built on worship, and I'm going to tell a little bit of a story, kind of go back in time a little bit. Before this church uh, started, there was this amazing move of, of the Holy Spirit in churches, um, including on the church that we were in in Wellington, and the Holy Spirit just really moved people's hearts to uh, want to worship the Lord and to sh- and to show our love to God. And so I remember I was a teenager at the time, and we were at um, you know uh, Elam Church in Wellington, beautiful church, and we'd be at the evening service. Get to the end of the service. It was probably I don't know, maybe about nine p.m. or something like that. Dad, what do you say? Nine p.m. and um, and there was a whole bunch of young adults, and they're like, no, this is not enough. I want to worship God more. And so we'd end up back. I mean, I'd, I thought these guys were cool, and so I'd just, I'd just go, with, go with them. And we'd end up back at their um, uh, sort of like a warehouse flat on uh, Courtney Place, just off Courtney Place. And, and they'd continue worshiping. And there was, um, there was no guitars, so they'd put on an old CD. It was one of those old vineyard CDs. And they'd all be just worshiping God. And it would, it would sometimes go on for hours. Just worshiping God because they loved God, and the Holy Spirit had caused uh, caused this move that just wanted um, us, dad, mum and dad were there, um, and these sort of young adults to worship God. And it was a Sunday night, remember? And I had to be at work at eight o'clock on a Sunday on a Monday morning, and I'm wor- and I'm in this kind of space, and I don't really know what's going on. I was like fifteen or sixteen, and um, thinking, God, I'm going to be really tired tomorrow. <laughs> But, but I wanted more of him. I wanted more of him. And so that was sort of like, the, that's like before CV started. And then when CV started, um, 
It started off with just mum and dad meeting in their lounge, and I don't know if you did worship together or not, but um, dad would often like lead on guitar. So there was that singing side of worship, but, but what about the other side? And this is the side that people didn't see. Dad was working a full-time job. Um, mum was, you're also working at that time, weren't you? And um, all, running a service doesn't just happen. And so mum and dad would often be um, involved with, um, you know, uh, sacrificing their lives for the church um, evenings during the week because they're working all day, so it had to be on the evenings and then Sundays. And this, was, this is worship. This is the heart of worship. They were doing it not because they wanted to have, um, you know, a massive crowd of people looking at them on a Sunday night. No, they're doing it because they were just simply being obedient to God and going, God, you said you called us into this, and so we, we're going to um, give off our time, evenings, Sundays. We're going to give off our money because it costs money. We're going to give off our energy. We're going to give up um, hanging out with our, our kids sometimes. No, I'm not saying this in a, in a bad way. Like, I know you loved us, and I know that you valued us. But I'm just saying, you had your, your, the priority was God and what God said. And that spoke to us. Like, you didn't worship us, you worshiped God. I'm saying that in, in honor. Like, I'm not saying that in a, a negative way. I, I never resented the church for that. Never did. And that is the, that is the foundation of worship that this church was built on. Right? Are you hearing what I'm saying? It's less about the upfront stuff and more about the other stuff. Um, I you know, made the plug before, before about helping with, with CVTV or helping with hospitality. That is worship. And, um, and sometimes I've, I've been thinking about it quite a lot. I might be up here, I might, you know, sometimes a worship lead, and I might be worshiping up the front. My heart might be completely distant from God. It looks like I'm worshiping. I'm singing the right words. I've got my eyes closed. I'm doing the right moves. My heart might not be worshiping God. Someone else might be, Susan might be back there um, on CVTV. She might be worshiping more than I am. That is worship. That's the heart of worship. And it's, and it's about seeing, seeing God and having this revelation of God. And it's about preparing the bride, you know, getting, like seeing us as, a, as the bride and going, I'm going to do what I can to prepare this bride today on a Sunday morning. I'm going to give up myself. I'm going to sacrifice myself. This is the foundation of worship. This is the ground that the church was built on. Worship and singing and praising God, worshiping with our songs and expressions. This is all part of it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. We, we run a risk of when we, say, when we say worship is all of our lives, then we run the risk of minimizing actually our songs. Um, or we go the other way and we go this, the singing of our songs, that's worship, and we run the risk of maximizing that, that too much and, going, what, and, and we ignore the rest of our lives. But it's all of it. It's all of it. And singing and praising God um, is so much part of it. Um, you know, uh, the Hebrews passage, sac- bringing him a sacrifice of praise. Luke 6.45 says, Out of the overflow of our heart, the mouth speaks. So when we worship God, it's, it's ideally it's an overflow of what's going on in our heart, the stirring of God in our heart, our love for him, our love for our beautiful groom who's going to come back for us, a bride prepared. And so worship involves all of our being, including our mouths. <laughs> this is what I'm getting to, including our mouths, including what comes out of our mouths including what we do with our bodies. And, uh, 
you know that passage I read before, Revelation 4, and, it, and the elders kept falling down. And all through the Bible, you see people uh, worshiping God by falling down. And like, when was the last time you fell down? <laughs> um, I'm not saying that. As a, I'm not saying this is, none of this is a guilt trip. I, I feel like the Lord is, is drawing us and he's calling us. He's going, you, you think that you know what worship is, but you're only scratching the surface. Because worship really involves life. I'm going to scrap the rest of my notes because there's this other passage that I want to get to. And I don't want to miss out, but I, this is what I feel the Lord is kind of calling us into as the church. I, it's very hard, you know, when, when you're thinking about worship because it's so, it's so big for us. And this is, um, I, I wrote a little bit about this passage in the CV News on Friday, and I think the Lord really wants to speak to us through it. So it comes on the beginning of Matthew, uh, and it's Matthew chapter 4. So, so far in the Gospel of Matthew, um, we've had the genealogy of Jesus, like where his, um, you know, the lion that he, that he came from. We've had um, him, um, him being, being born at Christmas time and everything. And then he comes, uh, he gets baptized by John the Baptist and um, gets dunked in the river and, and the Holy Spirit descends like a dove upon him and he says these amazing words to Jesus. Uh, God says these amazing words. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And so you give this amazing moment in time when, when Jesus is, you know, has this identity spoken over him. Beloved, you're my beloved son. I'm so well pleased with you. And then the same spirit then leads Jesus into the wilderness for 40 days where Jesus doesn't eat or drink. Talk about like going from an um, awesome moment to uh, what is a difficult time. Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness. This is chapter 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So this is strange, isn't it? The Spirit who, who, is, who just told him, this is my, you're my beloved son, leads him to be tempted. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, and the tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Temptation number one. And the lesson, well, one of the many lessons is, man, we've got we to um, we fill ourselves with the word of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, this is Jerusalem, set him up on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And on, the, on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, again it is written, you should not put the Lord your God to the test. And then the final temptation, the third and final temptation, it says, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, Mount Coco, and showed him, or Belmont Trig is higher, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, and he said to him, I'll say that again, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, and he said, all these I will give you if you fell down, if you fall down and worship me. And then Jesus said, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall only worship, you shall worship the Lord your God and only him shall you serve. Then the devil left him. And I think that the Lord wants us to um, think about this because there's this turning point in the temptations. And you get to the third and the final one. And, this, and the devil offers Jesus, he goes, all these kingdoms and all of its glory. 
And Jesus said, if, uh, you can have all of these things, all of the trappings of life. You can have the nicest clothes. You can have the flashest house. You can have uh, the best family. You can have um, a Tesla. <laughs> Thank you very much. You can have a private jet. You can have, uh, you can have glory. You can have the attention of people. You can have a thousand Instagram photo, uh, followers who like everything that you say. <laughs> You can have um, you can have a well-paid job. You can um, spend your days doing whatever you want. All you got to do is fall down and worship me. And Jesus said, "No, be gone. You shall only worship. You shall worship the Lord your God, and only Him shall you serve." And then the devil left him. And it's this, I think if we can get hold of this, this is <laughs> like powerful. This is like spiritual warfare. 101, because the devil seeks only to destroy, he seeks only to rob. And we kind of look at, we kind of look at what our world's got to offer, and it looks so good. It looks like that, that is what we want. That's where we kind of go and find fulfillment. Um, but, but that is not the way to fulfillment. That's not the way to life. The way to life is to lay down our lives and worship the Lord, the, our God, and him only shall you serve, and then the devil leaves us. Because when we, when we refuse that, the temp, that temptation of the devil, if, when, we refuse to, when we refuse to bow down and say, those things are of, of more worth to me than God, I'm really not describing this well. Because um, I'm not saying that those, that those things are bad, but when they, have a, when they become, take too high a place in our life, they do become bad. When they become idols in our life, they do become bad. When they and when they take a too high priority, then, then, then I think the enemy has a has a way to get to us. And when we say no, I am not going to submit myself to those things. I'm going to kneel down at the foot of the Lord. I'm going to sacrifice myself, even my time, even my desires, even my own will for you, God. Then the devil has nothing. On us, and the devil leaves. And, and this is the way to life. This is the way to life. Jesus actually was quoting from, um, from Deuteronomy uh, 6.13. This is where God gave the people of God, Israel at that time, the, the commandments, like his way, the way to live. And that the first one of these, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And then we jump forward to uh, verse 13, which is what Jesus was quoting. It says, It is the Lord your God you shall fear, him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go other, after other gods, the gods of the people who are around you, for the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God. Somehow these two things come together, and I, 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 I won't go into it, but, but fearing the Lord and worshiping the Lord somehow come together in this. Maybe part of it is just realizing that God is far, far greater and more powerful than we can ever imagine. And if we were in the throne room like John found himself, then we'd just be falling down all the time. I feel like, I feel like worship... When we, when we minimize worship to just being something that we do on a Sunday morning, then we're, we're missing out and we're seeing, um, 
we're actually like we're, we're missing out on the fullness of life that God has for us. Somehow, in, in worshiping God and acknowledging God in all parts of our life, including how we live during the week, including what comes out of our mouths, including what we give our attention to, including what we watch on Netflix or Amazon Prime, um, what we do with our time, what we do with our money, what we obsess about, what, even what we worry about sometimes. Uh, when, we, when we give ourselves to those things, then we actually miss out on, on the life that God has for us. And we blame him and we say, there's no fullness of life in you, God. But actually, it's because we worship in the wrong things. But anyway, I'm not saying. I really please hear me. I'm not saying this as a guilt trip, <laughs> or as a as a way to as a, as a way to shame as, as a way to shame the body. Because I feel like the Lord is is calling us into something uh, that's that is really uh, profound and going to be liberating for us as a as a community. Our foundation is worship, and it's a worship that's involved sacrifice. Our destiny is worship when the bride uh, comes together with the groom. And now in this moment, now we're sort of like readying ourselves and we're going, Lord, teach us. Show us the things that we, um, that we need to tear down in our lives and offer it to you instead. Um, Lord Jesus. Lord, I pray that you'd uh, speak to us in this moment, God. Lord, you're stirring the waters. You're stirring the waters today. Do you want freedom in him? Do you want fullness of life in him? Yes, we do, Jesus.